This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed, your weekly hour of old-time radio crime every Wednesday at relicradio.com. Before we get to our show this week, a quick reminder to donate at donate.relicradio.com or click on the donate link when you're on the website. If you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, help keep them coming every week. We don't have any advertising, so your support is always appreciated and needed. And thank you, as always, to those who have helped out. Our first story this week comes from Walk Softly Peter Troy. We'll hear the repentant redhead from December 17th, 1963. After that, it's Broadway is my beat and the Blanche Dermott murder case. This story from December 16th, 1952. And now, Peter Choi investigates the repentant redhead. This girl Julia met a moment ago. She's what scriptwriters call my girl Friday. You know, you'll meet her again in a little while. But right now, there's another redhead you should meet. Her name is Janine. Ah, Janine. Here's tranquility for you. I think of her and I see a serene picture of complete peace and tranquility. You beast! You double-crossing, mealy-mouth, malandering beast! If you see what I mean. I hate you. Now, Janine. And I never want to see you again. Now, darling. And don't darling me, Steve Rennick. But you don't... What's the names of the girls? There's no one but you, beautiful. And, and, and go easy on things last year, will you? She was here, and not so long ago. I can still smell a person. Well? I could kill you. Oh, my public would hate you for that. Steve Rennick, the poor man Steinbeck. You're as corny and false as the hero of your own book. Now, honey, let's have a little respect. I don't know why I'm so crazy about you. That's true. Maybe one day I will. Honey buns and homicide jokes. Go put some powder on your nose and I'll take you out to dinner. Go on now. I'll phone for a reservation at Odenina. Pink champagne and your sort of meat. Uh-huh. He just twists me around his little finger. A very repentant redhead who urgently needed the services of Peter Troy. 
I didn't do it, Mr. Troy. I swear I didn't do it. When the janitor broke in, you were in the apartment alone with him. And you were holding the gun that killed him, Miss Lee. And you want Mr. Troy to believe you didn't do it? Now, take it easy, Julie. Oh, Pete, you can't afford to take this case. The way things are, I can't afford not to. I'm offering you a sizable piece of money, Mr. Troy, to find out who really did kill Steve Rennick. Okay, make with a pencil, Julie. Get all this on paper. Now, Miss Lee, that gun... It belonged to Steve. He kept it in his bureau drawer. Uh-huh. How long were you in that other room? Mm. A minute. No more. And someone could have been hiding in the apartment all the time. Oh, I suppose so. The closet, kitchen, anywhere. The, uh... The neighbors said they heard a bit of a din coming from the place. Yes, well, Steve and I... I was having an argument with him. With milk blast argument? Well, I get carried away. Uh, <clears throat> what was the argument about? Women. So? Steve was my man. But he played around. Yes. Names? I don't know. Now, come on, Miss Lee. You want some help? Okay, cooperate. Don't forget your pride. Well, I was his... Well, we were sort of engaged, you understand. The others, they... There was a model, dark, italian sort of woman. Her name was Francesca de Militori. She was for one of the big Italian fashion houses. Yes, Tony? Yes. Then there was Paula Stevens. Oh, that's right. Yes. Steve Guy. Oh, I don't know any of the others by name. He only saw them occasionally. But he saw one of them yesterday. Yes, I could still smell a perfume in the place. Thick and heavy. And there was a glass with lipstick on it. She must have left just before I got in. Okay. Oh, anything else? Just that I didn't kill him. I'm sorry, Miss Lee. Your time's up. Oh, please, Inspector Mellenby. I have to talk... Look, I don't know how you talked me into letting you see Troy in the first place. Oh, come now, Inspector. It'll be enough from you, Julie. Mellenby, give me another five minutes, huh? No. Any more interviews with your client, Troy, will have to be made in the cells, and you'll get written permission from her lawyer. Sergeant, take Miss Lee away, please. This way, Miss Lee. Mr. Troy, I didn't kill Steve Rennie. What? Julie, my angel, I love you dearly, but there are times when you don't honestly think she's innocent, do you? Well, now, I don't know. Oh, come off it. Inspector, she is a redhead. Her vital statistics are 36, 23, 36. She has big blue eyes and long, lustrous lashes. All of which means, as far as Peter's concerned, she's innocent. Have you booked her yet, Inspector? Of course. It's an open and shut case. Don't you know about Rennick? Yeah, best-selling crime author, likes the ladies. Eh, and a grade-A heel. According to my information, he was one of the most unpopular men in London. So? So he had this coming to him. Seems he's double-crossed just about everyone around the place. He just violated a contract with his publisher. Crossed up his agent on more than one occasion. Ah, ah nothing. They weren't at his place when he was killed. Well, how do you know? Take a tip, Troy. Keep out of this one. The case is closed. It's not closed. Not until that girl's tried and a verdict pronounced. Can I help you? I'd like to speak to Mr. Troy, please. Mm? My name's Melissa Morgan. I'm the director of the Morgan Publishing Company. Oh. Well, don't look so startled. <laughs> I'm sorry, Miss Morgan. It's just that, well, frankly, I can't visualize you sitting behind a company director's desk. That's unfortunate. But may I see Mr. Troy? It's about the Rennick case. We were his publisher. Oh. Yes, of course. Excuse me, ma'am. Peter, there's a Miss Morgan to see you, a director of the Morgan Publishing Company. Oh, that's nice. Send her in. You may go in now, Miss Morgan. Thank you. Good morning, Mr. Troy. Good morning, Miss Morgan. Well, please sit down. Thank you. No, my secretary said... I'm here to discuss the Steve Rennick case, Mr. 
Troyes. Uh-huh. We published his novels, you know. Ah. We were all very sorry to hear of his death. But... I'll bet you were. I beg your pardon. Oh, forgive me, Miss Morgan. I've been a private investigator a long time. It makes you cynical, you know. I don't understand. I'm investigating the case on behalf of Miss Janine Lee. Yes, I know that. I've been making a lot of inquiries. And? I heard that Steve Rennick was about to drop the Morgan Publishing Company. So? Which means you'd have lost the residual rights to his novels. That would have meant a loss of about a quarter of a million pounds to the Morgan Publishing Company over the years. When my father founded this company, Mr. Troy... It was nothing. It still is nothing without Steve Rennick's novels. Quarter of a million pounds, Miss Morgan. Makes you think, doesn't it? Of what? Of motive for murder. Janine Lee killed Steve. Now, I'm not saying he didn't deserve to die, and I'm not saying she didn't have a motive. Then what are you saying? Steve's dead, and she killed him. Let the matter rest there. Don't go digging around for any other motives, Mr. Troy. None exist. Well, now, I'd like proof of that. The police are satisfied. You should be, too. And if I'm not? <laughs> Do you take a delight in courting trouble, Mr. Troy? Oh. Now, that sounds like a veiled threat to me. Well, I'll unveil it. Forget about Steve Venick's death, Mr. Troy. Forget your investigation. There's 300 pounds here in my bag for you. If you do, just that. And if I don't? There's trouble. Now, about that 300 pounds. Lady, please, just one client at a time, huh? You're going to be sorry. So very sorry. That's a shame. Attractive men like you don't grow on trees. They say the sweetest things in between threats. Pete, I can't stand high. And I'm darn sure this fire escape isn't safe. Now just hold tight, Julia. I'll have this window open in a minute. There's a law against this, you know. It's called breaking an entrance. So there's a law. I have to get inside Lennox's apartment. Why? Got it. Come on, honey, run inside. Warn me about this. I wouldn't have worn a tight skirt. I like tight skirts. There is a front door, you know. Uh-huh. There's also a couple of big gendarmes watching it. That I find significant. Torch. Hmm? Well, it's high and wild, isn't it? A real wolf's lair if I ever saw one. Yeah. Somewhere here, there's the answer. May I remind you that the police think they've already got it? So impress me. And they're bound to search this place. Yeah. What have they been searching for? Just something else to tie Janine Lee in with Rennick's murder. I'm looking at it from another angle. Looking for another suspect. I don't think you'll find one. Oh, what's this? Draft of this next novel. Half of it, anyway. Ah, hasn't finished it. Oh, you look at the title. Honey Buns and Homicide. There's only up to page 148, huh? 149's here in the typewriter. So this manuscript now is cursing. And it's not Janine's band either. It's thick and heavy. That's interesting. It wasn't Melissa's either. Exactly how many women are there mixed up in this case? <laughs> you know, Rennick must have collected them like other men collect stairs. Yeah, look at this typing. What's the matter with it? Look at the line I just typed. And look at the typing on the rest of the page. That's print. The manuscript isn't being typed on this machine at all. Surely, my girl, you've earned a bonus. Now settle the last week's salary. Visitors, that's the torture. Someone's at the window coming in on the fire escape. We must have started somehow. Can you see who it is? Not a darn thing. Keep down. 
Something is playing around. Okay, I think it's time. We... Oh, and they're getting away, too. Oh. What are you attract? The flames are all around the window. The front door, come on. Oh. Torch. Oh, I've dropped it. Well, this way, the front door's over here. Julie. The door's at least have sealed off the apartment. You can be certain of one thing. This definitely wasn't the kind of Peter Troy week. Maybe that intruder knew we were there. Maybe he didn't. Either way, it didn't make much difference. Steve Rennick's apartment had to be destroyed. And brother, a petrol fire is a good way of destroying anything. Including yours truly, plus private secretary. In just two minutes, that whole place was a raging inferno. The flames cut off our retreat to the window and fire escape. On top of that, Inspector Mellonby's boys had put a police seal on the front door. Life was just a little more than tedious just then. And I was in no mood for any jokes about barbecued private eyes. I'm 
sorry, Mr. Troy. We don't open till six. I'm not a customer, Mr. Fremont. I just wanted to have a chat with your sister. Helen is here, isn't she? Who wants to know? Peter Troy. Just tell her about Janine Lee and Steve Rennick. She'll understand. Now, look, tell her. I'll be watching you, Troy. You do that. You wanted to see me, Mr. Troy? No, if you're Helen Fremont. I am. You know what I like about this case? It's just oozing with pulchritude. You know what pulchritude means? It means feminine glamour. Then, of course, you know what the word means. After all, uh, you're a writer, aren't you? Hardly. Oh, but I hear different. What do you want? The truth. I found it's an elusive thing. Much more elusive than that uh, perfume you're wearing. What are you driving at, Mr. Troy? Didn't anyone ever tell you about that perfume, Helen? It doesn't become you at all. It's too, uh, thick and heavy. And it's like a trademark. What do you mean? Rennick's apartment reeked of it the night he was killed. The manuscript of his half-finished novel reeks of it, too. What are you talking about? Honey buns and homicide. And I don't mean the title of his book, either. Holly? Trouble? I think there's going to be. You'd better tell that fellow to keep away from me. I don't like his face. I'm liable to want to change the shape of it. Why, you... <laughs> If you see what I mean. You won't get away with it. No, Harry, we don't want any trouble. Yeah, but... What do you want with me, Troy? Confession. Uh. <laughs> this isn't a joke, Miss Fremont. You killed Steve Rennick. Did I? Tell me about it. First, I'll tell you this. Steve Rennick was no writer. In his whole life, he only wrote one book, the first one. That caught the public's eye, and it was a bestseller. But he couldn't maintain the standard. Well, his name was made, but he just didn't have the talent to write another novel. Then who wrote the others? You did. You were his ghostwriter. Oh, don't deny it. Melissa Morgan spilled the beans down to Scotland Yard. All right, so I won't deny it. I wrote all Steve's books after that first one. But that doesn't mean I killed him. Doesn't? All right. Let's go to the facts for a minute. Now, it had to be someone who knew their way around Steve's apartment. Someone who knew where everything was kept. His gun, for instance. Just before you pulled that stunt with the petrol and matches, I was searching his apartment. Now, he kept his gun in his bureau drawer. And it was locked. So? So, apart from Steve, only one other person would have the key to that drawer. The girl who was not only his ghostwriter, but his part-time secretary. You. That's not evidence. Well, coming back to that fire. Now, the person who broke in through that window didn't even use a torch. And the room was pitch black. Therefore, the intruder knew her way around. Knew where every stick of furniture was. You. You're the one that fits. And then we come to the reason behind the fire. Oh, yes, the fire. Tell me about that, Mr. Charles. That manuscript beside Rennick's typewriter was written on another machine. Logical, isn't it? Of course. As I wrote the books, it's obvious that the manuscripts would be written on my own machine. Right. Page 149 was in the roller of his machine. He always kept the last page in his typewriter so that any visitor would assume he was working on it. Oh, that's so. But then again, on the sideboard next to the front door, we found the remains of some more of the manuscript. Yes, ma'am. Pages 150 to 163. So... You dropped those pages into him the day before yesterday. Just a few seconds before you pulled the trigger and killed him. 
You're crazy. He couldn't do the usual routine of slipping the last page into his machine. Because he was dead. You can prove all this. Oh, I don't have to. Now the uh, police are going to look after that part of it. But I haven't finished yet, either. We still have to find a motive, don't we? Then can you? Well, I can try. How does this fit? There was something else in that apartment which had to be destroyed. The original manuscript of Steve Rennick's very first novel. The one he wrote himself. And why did that have to be destroyed? Because he wrote a dedication on the front page, didn't he? It read, For Helen, my devoted wife. And that's you. Isn't it? No. You're making a mistake. That's why you tolerated him stealing all your glory. You have to do it. His publishers wanted it that way, didn't they? And they still want it that way. Because by now, Steve Rennick's name sells his novels just as much as their plot line. But you'd had enough of them, hadn't you? You don't know what it was like. No one could know. You mean Lee? That was the one he was falling in love with. The others didn't count. They were nothing. But Danny knew. Yes, I killed Steve. And I'd do it again. Okay, Troy. So now you've got the story. I sure have, Buster. But you're not going to live to repeat any of what you just found out. Harry, don't be a fool. Put away that Out thing. of the way, Helen. Steve got everything he deserved. And now this nosy... Drop product. that gun, Seymour. Why, you... Please, drop that gun. Oh, uh, I meant to tell you, Helen. The police came in here with me. They had to. You see, I'm still under arrest for uh, unlawful entry. Oh, careful, Troy. It's okay, Inspector. You only got him in the shoulder. Did you get all that? Yes, the sergeant got it all down in shorthand. All right, you'll have to come with us, Mrs. Rennick. You too, Fremont. Mrs. Rennick? No one's called me that in a long time. Just to tie up the ends for you, Helen was in Steve's apartment all the time. All the time Janine was there anyway. She heard the row every word of it. And that was the final straw. She'd already taken his gun, so the thought of killing him wasn't a new one. Soon as Janine went into the other room to powder her nose, Helen came on out of the closet, shot Rennick, threw the gun on the floor, and lit out, leaving the repentant redhead to take the rap. As for the fire, well, it was the only way she could get rid of that evidence without attracting suspicion to herself. And as for Melissa Morgan, well, she wanted the secret kept, her company had too much at stake. She wasn't at all keen on having me delving around looking for the truth. I was bound to find out about Helen Rennick being Steve's ghost. Well, what with ghosts and gals and honey buns and homicide, it was quite a case, wasn't it? mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover.
Broadway flips the calendar, stares at the word December, holds chin between thumb and forefinger and wonders, what happened? Winter is here and the year is suddenly dying. Proof positive, the wind rising from the river that twists a headline around an ankle, lifts it up again, flattens it against the gutter, and there it is in boldface. So many shopping days left. So the evergreens are chopped, mounted, dyed blue and tinseled. Token of holiday season. Token that time's getting narrow for the layaway plan. So get with it. All you need's a dollar. It'll hold the dream till Christmas. And follow the decorations downtown and take a left. East 37th, where the season is manifest by holly and apartment windows and electric candles. And the latest thing, Merry Christmas in phosphorus paint to glow in the dark. 11 o'clock time, nighttime where I was. And Miss Gaffney's apartment. And Miss Gaffney. Look at the joint, will you? I'm looking. I've been looking for the last five minutes, Miss Gaffney. Now, will you settle down and tell me what... Two years, I say, to get a full-length mirror. Now look at it. Now look what I've got. Confetti. You ready to tell me what happened? You know what happened. What's been happening around this neighborhood for the last couple of nights? I mean to you. I was trying on in front of the mirror, that's what. And that sniper took a pot shot at me. Why didn't you pull the blind down? At my age. Well, you're lucky. You see this slug? Huh? Here, look at it. Embedded here in the mirror backing. 38, head high. Like I said, lucky. Yeah. And, and I was standing right here. Two more inches and Myrtle Gaffney... That's right. Now, let's take it from the beginning. Did you notice anyone following you tonight when you got home? I could have been killed. Or anyone loitering around outside. He could have killed me and you stand here and I... We don't even know what he looks like, Miss Gaffney. We want you to help. He could have killed me. He could have killed me. Shot me dead and killed me. And her sinless anger, the tightening hysteria fitted themselves into the pattern of the city's newest violence. And it was the other emotion... That the shattering of Mirror had been this close to the shatter and burst of her life. That her life had been balanced on the bad aim of a man with a gun. That her life had been target for indiscriminate fury. And against terror was only this. You protect me, you hear? That's what you people are paid for. To protect helpless, lonely women, you hear? And give her the promise. And phone it in. And leave her now to darkness and bolted doors and windows blinded and locked against another coming of death. Walk this winter's streets to where a room is, and hot plate, and minute coffee. And for a while after that, wander the narrow room. And for a while after that, sleep. And next day at headquarters is used in attendance at lineups where Miss Gaffney can identify no one. In marking areas on a map, trying to plot the boundaries of a sniper's violence. The cultured calm of the woman on the phone who was very definite she was next on the sniper's list, but was unafraid. And suddenly there's quick winter twilight and the comment upon it by Detective Muckerman. Look at him, Danny. Millions running home to a hot supper and take what eats you out on the kiss. A way to live, huh? Yeah, it is. Me? My life is suddenly mixed up with panicky ladies who've had pot shots taken at him. That Lois Stewart over in West 30, for instance. You've already told me about her. She man. wrote me a little poem how her life was really contained in that flower vase the sniper shot to pieces in her flat. She wrote it down for me. Here, I'll read it. Uh, you've already read it to me. Well, you take the reaction of this Lois Stewart and pose it against the reaction of Mrs. B. Morris in West 32nd. I tell you about her? No, uh, but I'll read it in your report. This one cried a lot. Hung on to me. She was putting in a light bulb, she told me, when wham, through the window, the sniper shot the bulb, right? I'll get it there. Lieutenant Clover's office, Detective Mugman. Yeah. Yeah, where? 2126. Two, Got it. 
Maybe this time, Danny. Or maybe this time what? Three, four people spotted a guy running across your roof. Apartment house 2126 West 39. Guy was carrying a rifle. Let's go. Lieutenant, they got him, Lieutenant. Bringing him down. Good. Yeah. Oh, here they come. Mm. Let me go. I want to go home. Let me go. I'll take him, officer. Come on, you. Take your hands off of me. Find the gun, officer? Nobody had a gun. We'll find it. Get him in the car, Michael. Mm -hmm. Hand me the flash, Michael. Yeah. Here. He's a kid. What's your name, son? Mickey. Mickey Ruick. How old are you, Mickey? Going on 16. You live near here? No, Brooklyn. What are you doing here? You were on that roof with a gun. What were you doing there? What'd you do with the gun? I want to go home. Go home, Mickey. Later. First, we want to know what you were doing prowling around on that roof with a gun. You like to shoot at women, Mickey? I didn't shoot at anybody. Come on, kid. You just tell us. We'll understand. You like all this publicity you're getting, being called a sniper, scaring everybody. You like it, don't you? Makes you feel pretty big, doesn't it, Mickey? I didn't shoot at anybody. I read... Go on, Mickey. I read in the papers about the sniper. Found the gun, Lieutenant. Hey. Here, thanks. In the alley. You must have used it off the roof. Take a look, Plastic. Tough yourself in the real thing. Is this your gun, Sonny? Yeah, it's mine. Where'd you get it? I took it. All right, I stole it. Department store. This afternoon after I read about the sniper, a toy shop. Look. Yeah. I was playing, that's all. You read books tell you how to play like this? The lieutenant means comic books, things like that. You. What? You're a real lieutenant, huh? Well, what about it, Mickey? Can I see your gun? Turn him over to Juvenile Mugovan. Then you can start looking for a sniper all over again. It's all right. I disturbed you for a minute. Now, come on in, Dr. Sensky. I was just... Yeah, I see what you're doing, Danny. May I also look at the portraits? A series of them, Doctor. Take your pick. Mm. The department artist sketched them from fragmentary descriptions given us by the women who were shot at by the sniper, from helpful bystanders, a few crackpots. All different. Hmm. These are the faces of violence, huh, Danny? Anybody's face. So what you look for is anybody. A killer who's been denied the death of women, perhaps because of some slight defect in vision, perhaps because his family didn't buy him the eyeglasses he needed when he was a child. Whatever it is that's kept him from killing, let's not knock it on Dr. Sinsky. I don't know how to apologize for my feeble attempts at irony, Danny. I forget Yeah, I'll try to do that. I I heard uh, Detective Mugovan brought in a boy to juvenile, a boy prowling rooftops with a plastic gun. Uh -huh. How old was he, Danny? I'm going on 16, he said. Mm -hmm. A boy. A child. <laughs> and images of a world behind window shades and hatred for it. This sniper, Danny. And what about him? You find a man whose face matches an artist's sketch and then look behind it and underneath it. And remember another child who prowled rooftops with a plastic Your gun. Your Danny? Well, what is it, Jim? That sniper chap. Yeah? He's at it again. House 1843 East 39. Just came in over the phone. Also, 
Also what, Gino? This time, he didn't miss. Any comment, Doctor? Any observations you care to make on how we're really dealing with a frustrated child? How we should treat him? No, no. No comment, Danny. In that case, get me a squad car, Gino. And go there. And what was night still brownstone house with an early Christmas tree lighted in its living room window? Its promise to be viewed from the street has become this. Cluster and steaming whisper of crowd peering close through window, beyond tree to where lay another promise. The yet unopened and hidden gift of the season's violence. And get past them and inside. And inside is a woman sprawled against fabric of sofa. And a man kneeling at her feet. Blanche, listen to me. Just listen. There'll be a doctor in a minute and he'll know what to do. Blanche, please. Mr. But What do you want? I'm from the police. I'll get out of your way. She's dead, isn't she? My wife's dead. I knew it all the time. Must have been quick. Where the bullet struck just above the eye. Had to be quick. Oh, wait a minute. I want to let them know. I want to let those people outside know. She's dead. That's what you're waiting for, isn't it? She's dead. Wait, wait. I'll show you. Now you can have a good look. Look! Look at my wife! Look at my dead wife! Step right up, ladies and gentlemen! Step right up and see the... You are listening to Broadway's My Beat, written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin, and starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. holidays begin their swift curve into the canyon street, and Broadway rushes the season. Against the distant cry of on dancer, on prancer, the sleek dancers, the eager prancers bargain for the sprig of mistletoe, buy it, hang it in the doorway. Under it strike the holiday pose, and watch the winter women walk by, the scented fur hugged close, December wind rippling it against their cheeks, their mouths. The same wind that breathes them away from you. So... Shrug a shoulder, kid. Make jaunty the scarf and relax. Under no yuletide tree will it be barren, according to the advertisements. Where I was, winter's night blowing through newly shattered window into a room where mantelpiece was simulated marble, where fireplace was three gas logs, neatly arranged, never consumed, where furniture was draped with embroidered fringed cloth. And this... Room where death was. You're cold, mister. I'll turn on a fire. Never mind. I, I shouldn't have done that. I, I shouldn't have broken open the window and yelled at those people. They'll think I'm crazy. Well, don't worry about it, Mr. Durbin. Tell me something, mister. What? Uh, you've been around where, where people have been killed. Women, a man's wife, for instance. You, you, you see that a lot, don't you? Hmm? Well, the husbands of those other women you've seen dead. What did they do? What did they say? I want to know, so I won't louse up the etiquette. Oh, Mr. Dermott. They cry like I did. They go out of their head like I did. Tell me, mister. You really need to know. No, I got all I need to know. A little while ago, I had a wife. Now I got a memory. Blanche. Not how she is now, not how she was yesterday. Sick and the day before, a year before. But how Blanche was when she was young, when she was a girl. 
I should thank him. I should thank her killer. She left me remembering the girl. Tell me how it happened, Mr. Dennis. Well, you know it happened, but sniper, he finally got a bullseye. My wife. Were you here in this room with her? Yeah, I was here in the room with her. Did you notice anything? Hear anything? I was in this room with Blanche. We were talking over who to give presents to this year, who we were going to get presents from. Did you see anyone outside? Did anyone follow you home? I'll run the evening down for you. Six o'clock, I got home from work. Six-thirty, Blanche put dinner on the table like she did every night. We eat, we talk, then she clears the table, washes the dishes. I go to the living room, sit in my chair and read. Uh-huh. Then I help her change into a nightgown and robe, and she comes in here with her embroidery, and we talk or we don't talk, depending on how she felt that day. Tonight was different. Tonight she felt good. And then she got killed. But you understand, Mr. Dermott? You understand why... No, no, no. I, I'm dense. I understand nothing. I don't understand how a crazy killer roams around loose when we got a smart police force like you. I don't understand why Blanche is dead. Do, do something for me, honest. What? Leave me alone for a minute so I can figure it out, huh? Watch him move away from you to the lonely place. The couch where his wife is dead. And watch him kneel again at her feet. And for a little while, the, the time he needed. Go to the door, whisper to the official intruders. They understand. It gives them the interval to adjust focus and cameras. To test with current width the spring and snap of steel tape. To smooth and make neat the folds of shroud. Then their spill into the room, and the man's instant is gone. So leave there. Go home. Good morning, and headquarters, and the joyous tidings of Sergeant Gino Pataglia. <laughs> are you happy, Gino? In me, Danny, you are gazing upon a contented fellow. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Chuckling because last night was the Tartaglia night at our neighbor's Lorenbaum's. Contented because a frolicsome time was had by all and sundry. Uh, Gino. Among which sundry was Fargo. Fargo Rembaum, a veritable cock. Fargo Rembaum? The western outlet for the Rembaum's, an uncle from Nevada who did last night descend upon the eastern branch and did shower them with western-type goodies. Indian blankets, beaded belts, an Indian doll carrying on her back in lieu of a papoose, a bottle of Swernob's vodka. And for me, a feather chief's headdress, which I will be glad to model for you come lunch. Dino, I... <laughs> oh, Danny, wait till you catch a gang of Chief Minnehaha Tataglia. <clears throat> First to work, and then... I hate to spoil your fun. What must be, must be. In the matter of the deceased Mrs. Blanche Dermott, report from technical. Felled with a thirty-eight caliber bullet of same type and markings as the sniper has been prone to use on other ladies. But with Mrs. Dermott, he made expert. Right above the eye. Anything else, you know? From Detective Mugovan and others at work on the case during the night. This report from neighbors on Mrs. Dermott adds up to a nil. Twelve years in the neighborhood, Danny. None of the neighbors knew her. All they knew, she was very quiet and a non-mixer. Now how about her husband? Has a little novelty shop on 7th Avenue, open 9, close 5.30. Always bringing home novelties and gimcracks to the neighbor's kids. And that's Do something for me, huh, Gino? Anything? Get a policewoman. Have her go out and buy herself a house dress. Then have her report to me in an hour. Sure. But you want to see me in feathers? Just get her, huh, Gino? And the setting up of it. Policewoman. Empty apartment in the neighborhood where the other shooting had taken place. Daytime chores for nighttime trap. And it was done. Then let the day drift backward into December. Watch it from the window at headquarters. Walk with it briefly. Twice to the corner restaurant where the food is always an adventure. 
Back to the office again, and the window. And see Dave bleed gravely in the night. Take out set up, Danny. Cruising. Squad car's waiting for us downstairs. Beginning night is strung through with cold. And the hurrying shapes that curve backward in your vision. The street of the spinning lights. And turn off it. East 38. Ride it slowly. Past the rows of brownstones and the corner stores and winter loneliness of Manhattan Street. And slowly past the lighted window, ground level, where a woman sits. Now clothed in a house dress and reading. Trapped. And past it, another corner turning stop. Coffee in the thermos, Danny. You want some later? Yeah, what's the time? Seven ten. Yeah, it's going to be a long night. Yeah. Call in, Margaret. Yeah. Car four three, car forty three, reporting. Forty three. Parked at southeast corner of East Thirty Eighth and Third, according to Plan A. Nothing from here. Car twenty two reported suspicious acting man on fourth, turning into Thirty Eighth. Check him down. Drunk, unarmed. Car forty three, ten four. Well, park further down the street, Michael, and I'm going to take a walk. If you need me, I'll probably be in a doorway around the corner. Right. Past the lighted window again. And the woman in the house dress, policewoman, reading, across the street and watch her. She gets up, frames herself against the light, stares the night. Sits down again, reads again. And the doorway directly across from her is cold plaster to hold six mailboxes. Directions to the tenants on how to live. And things to do in case of a bomb attack. Illustrated. Then a while, a young woman comes up the steps, cloth coat around her waitress uniform, looks into an empty mailbox, looks emptily at you, goes into the house, trails back to her footsteps. And later a man leaves the house, checks his pockets and goes out happy. Watch him walk down the street. The squad car picks him up, trails him, drops him. And night becomes nine o'clock. And the woman across the street sits, reads, gets up, walks around the room, sits, reads. And the nine o'clock wind holds all the cold of the hours before and fills the street. And gusts of it break off and run into doorways, wrap themselves around people, wait there. And the light from the squad car blinks into the night and screams at it. Argument! Sniper, Danny. Just got to communicate. Where? Two blocks from here on 40. Let's go. Come on, honey. Please wake up, honey. You'll be all right, Mr. Garson. I fainted up, baby. A little drunk, too. So what? You want to tell me what happened, Mr. Garson? Uh, look at her lying there. She was there in bed when she was shot at, right? Poor baby. Wait till she wakes up and finds out she was shot at by the sniper. She'll faint all over but again. Just what happened? What? I, I was reading to her. Uh, go on. I, I just finished turning the page and she was giving me my drink and... What? I, I turned the page and she was holding out a glass to me. And, and then it happened. Shot the glass right out of her hand. Over the book, my pajamas. Uh... I think your wife is waking up, Mr. Garson. Uh, it's all right, baby. Little bumble poppy. I'm here, little pussy cat. Everything's all right. Uh, Mr. Garson. Uh, look, look how she wakes up. Uh, doll, baby. Uh, 
think you'd better leave us alone now. When Mrs. Garson feels better, I want you both down at headquarters to file a report. Yeah, baby. Drink your carriages. Don't mind him, little rat. He's leaving. Well? Shot came from the alley through the bedroom window. The woman was in bed. Sniper shot a glass out of her hand. Lucky. Is she? Well, I'd say she is. What would you say? Consider it, Margaret. Four women were lucky. The fifth was killed. Think about it. I just told you. Reverse it. Think about it the other way. Yeah. So let's make a call, huh? your wife, Mr. Dennis. In here. Watch you boys take off your coat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. When are you going to get your window fixed, Mr. Dermot? Putting that cardboard in there's as far as I'm going to go. I'm moving. Where are you going? Away from here. Think I'm going to live here anymore? Yeah, it must be real tough. I can tell you this. I sure miss it. How long were you married, Mr. Dermot? I told you, 12 years. Oh, that's right. I'd forgotten. 12 years. You're not going to believe this. We never had an argument. Why not? Huh? Well, I've been married 14 years, and starting with our third anniversary, my wife and I had little arguments every week, and a big one once a month. And we're very happy. So why haven't you had any arguments, Mr. Dermott? You didn't argue with my wife, Miss. Why not? She'd get upset. Oh, that's right. I forgot. You forgot what? That your wife was a sickly woman. You've been checking on me? What was the matter with your wife? I asked you a question. You've been checking on me? But where are you keeping this drawer, Mr. Dermott? Hey, Tom! Knitting stuff. And adjust that, Danny. What's the big idea of opening that drawer? A lot of knitting in there. Your wife likes to knit? You just don't open any drawers without permission, you hear? Yeah, she likes to knit. She likes to crochet and pat and hook rugs. So what difference does that make? She must have had a lot of time on her hands. Well, what if she did? Hey, now, what's the matter with you? I don't want you going around opening things. What are you thinking? Nothing in here, Danny. A picture album, Christmas decoration. What are you looking for, anyhow? Let's talk some more about your wife, Mr. Dermott. She was a good, sweet, kind woman. Yeah, they all are. Did you hate her very much? Hate her? I was married to her. Yeah, I know, 12 years. Why should I hate her? A sickly woman, a woman who never went out, a woman who sat home all day. I'll try the kitchen, Danny. What are you looking for? Just tell me that, will you? I'll cut it out, Mr. Dermott. If you just tell me what he's looking for. A gun. You think I'm the sniper? Are you? What do you mind? Look at it this way, Mr. Dermott. Five women were shot at. The only one who was hit, your wife. Not wounded, either. Killed. The other four, drinks shot out of their hand. A light bulb shattered. A vase, a mirror. The... My wife was unfortunate, that's all. Did the other four... Fortunate? At first, we thought we were looking for a man who couldn't shoot well, who was trying to kill and was missing. Now we're going on the premise that he was missing on purpose. I don't understand what you're talking about. Missing on purpose. A crack shot who could shoot out light bulbs through windows, who could kill your wife through a window. What's he doing in there? Let's go see him. Well, you're breaking up my house? You hid this marksman metal. Where'd you hide the gun? Here, look, Danny. Expert marksman's metal. Where'd you hide the gun, Mr. Dermott? 
do you think I am? Maybe a man who shot at a lot of women to get the word sniper in the newspapers just so you could get one woman, your wife. And take one last pot shot at a woman drinking booze in bed to clinch it. You're crazy. Why should I kill my wife? Look at it from our point of view, Mr. German. You're a man who likes people, likes to be nice to children. Likes to go outside sometimes, too, huh? Yeah, yeah, my wife wouldn't let me do that. Your wife, the woman who sits in a chair and nips. No friends, nobody to stop in. No fun. Twelve years of it. Not even any argument. Twelve years to get fed up. You understand how it works? Of course we do. A man figures he gets old soon enough. A wife like that. Sure. You live, you gotta have fun. Can't stay home all the time. Would you? Where's the gun? Oh, you won't find it. Throw it away. Let this mantle across in the river. Look, listen, kid. You weren't kidding, would you? About what? Yeah, about understanding. You're a killer, we understand that. Well, yeah, I know, no, but I mean about my wife. What you said. How a man gets old too fast. How his life runs away from him and, and nobody to talk to. Sit in a room, feed her medicine, wait on her. Every night you go to sleep, dream about how it would be without her. You understand. I know you do. The time of winter at daytime leaves Broadway fast. You walk toward the shadows. Someone smiles and takes your hand, whispers to close your eyes, then bangs your head against the night. Your scream mixes well with the shriek of the riot. It's Broadway. The gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway. My beat. Broadway's My Beat stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover, with Charles Calvert as Pataglia and Jack Crucian as Muggerman. The program is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. In tonight's story, High Everback was heard as Mr. Dermott. Featured in the cast were Elvia Allman, Jerry Farber, Steve Roberts, and Hal Gerard. facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Case closed this week. Hope you enjoyed our shows this time. You can find more from Peter Troy, Broadway is My Beat, past episodes of Case Closed, and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at relicradio.com. Don't forget to click on that donate button if you're able to help us out. And thank you again to all who have. And thanks for joining me this week. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Mm-hmm.